0: Welcome to The Wrap Up, a weekly podcast that gives you an insider's look at the top stories in Hollywood. I'm your host, Sharon Waxman, the founder and editor-in-chief of The Wrap. Joining me is my co-host, Daniel Goldblatt, assistant managing editor of The Wrap.
1: How are you doing this week, Sharon? Good weather Uh, we're having now, right?
0: Finally. This week, the governor of Georgia announced his intention to open movie theaters next week, but he can't just snap his fingers and make it happen. What will it take to get movie theaters open again? The Raps' Jeremy Fuster and Trey Williams will join us to discuss.
1: Then, even in a global pandemic and with every major company launching their own streaming service, Netflix is soaring to new heights. Can it get any better than this? We'll break it down with The Raps' Sean Burch and Jenny Moss. But first, Sharon, let's do some headlines. Cool. During AT&T's earnings call this week, WarnerMedia CEO John Stanky said the company was rethinking their theatrical model and quote, looking for ways to accelerate efforts that are consistent with the rapid changes in consumer behavior from the pandemic. Stanky pointed to the announcement that the animated film Scoob, which was supposed to debut in theaters on May 15th, would instead be available for purchase on demand and then move on to HBO Max. Sharon, we've talked a lot before on this podcast and on the site. About you know how the traditional theatrical model right. could become a thing of the past, even after you know everyone is back to normal. Sounds like some of the big companies are starting to think this way too. For sure, I mean John Stanky was just
0: speaking reality. After he made this comment, uh, apparently a number of, of uh, Warner executives below him scrambled to you know. Make the theatrical exhibition community feel better, saying, "Oh no, no, no! We still love theaters. We're still committed to theatrical." But that's that's a load of nonsense. Stanky's doing what he has to do as a CEO of a major media company, which is looking at what is happening, which is there's no movies to put in theaters. They have to drive revenue, and the rational thing, and they have streaming services, and is are an option. And so he's just saying what everybody in the industry knows to be true and is making that decision as a leader, as he ought to, which is they're going to look at what makes sense for them as a company. And the theatrical exhibitors are going to have to take what scraps are left to them. So what that means to me, that's a piece that I'm working on right now is working on it today. So it's top of mind is, you know, day and date is the whole idea of like theatrical windows, it's done. Like that ship has totally sailed during this pandemic. And it was done anyway. It was really, there were really just a few holdouts that were trying to mollify the exhibition chains like Regal and Cinemark and AMC um, to try to protect this 60 day window. But it's gone. It's gone. Yeah. At the end of the
1: day, these big companies are just going to look at the math and just decide either you know, releasing it in theaters gives us X amount of dollars. Doing it in some sort of new way involving on-demand, involving, you know, purchasing through like maybe iTunes, uh, putting it on Netflix, whatever it is. If that generates Y and Y is greater than X, they will go with Y. That's right. And I think the worst thing you can do the worst reason for doing something is just, that's how it was always done.
0: Well, that is, this, that's that's getting dream. exploded with this pandemic. It's ridiculous. Every, everybody who was trying to hang on to legacy models is just gonna get blown out of the water. That's basically what's happening. We wrote a story, We the myself and another writer broke a story, I think it was Beatrice Verhoeven, about uh, probably a month ago, that Warner Brothers was looking at releasing Wonder, Wonder Woman as a streaming title now. Obviously, that would be a very big move. That's a huge franchise. It's a big, big, global anticipated title. But the reality was they were discussing. So There's a huge amount of reaction, a huge amount of pushback, um, and they were. But th- that's the reality. They were modeling it out, and Snakey's comments kind of confirmed that that they they are looking at what makes sense for every title. So at the end of the day, there were they they came out and said, no, 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 we're going to put it out in theaters in August. Let's just see. I mean, who knows? That's another conversation for for later in the program, perhaps. But w- whether we're going to be able to actually go back to theaters in August, or go back to theaters at fifty percent or thirty percent in August, right. is going to make a really huge material difference in the amount of money that Warner Bros. is going to be able to make on this hugely anticipated title. So, um, I think, as as one person I spoke to today about this, because I've talked to like a half a dozen people, it all. Optionality is on the table right now it should be
1: mm-hmm. yeah, I think the money the math will work better for smaller movies than for bigger ones. Obviously, I think yeah. the odds on seeing those middle sized movies you know possibly adopting a new model are much greater than your tentpole you know summer blockbuster type films
0: I agree we 'll talk about that a little bit more with jeremy, but let 's move on, but Facebook CEO Mark Zuckerberg said during an interview on Good morning America that the site would remove posts that promote or organize protests against stay-at-home orders due to COVID-19. The company later said it had already removed content promoting anti-quarantine events in California, New Jersey, and Nebraska. Given all the controversy over Facebook declining to remove uh, false political information, uh, Daniel, does this surprise you?
1: Uh, Not really. I think, first of all, they probably weren't making any money on these posts, so it, I think that was a big incentive um, in terms of what they were doing before with the you know, sort of fake news, if you will, during the election, is those were paid ads. They were getting paid to run those things. They were getting paid when they were getting promoted. They had a financial interest in keeping those up. These are just things that people are posting, trying to organize events that go clearly against laws and common sense, mind you. And so I think, you know. It's very easy to hate on Facebook because they've done so many things that, you know, aren't that great. But in this particular case, I think, you know, they're saving lives by doing this, I hope. I The fact that people are even thinking about doing this. Well, the- to me, well, all of
0: that is is kind of a no-brainer. I mean, first of all, protesting on stay-at-home orders are, in, in, in any event, a marginal movement. Um, I think true. also they've been taking down actual misinformation as regards COVID, which is the responsible thing to do. Um, and it does feel in line with me with Zuckerberg's inability to kind of get his head around what what is political misinformation and what isn't and why that's important. It does feel like as somebody who comes really from the data and engineering side um, of his platform, that he's Okay with removing science based information that's inaccurate, but not okay, not comfortable taking down information that says so and so might have had a sexual liaison with so and so, or so and so voted this way, or you know, in ways that are. I will continue to maintain extremely damaging to our democracy, and that will play out as we go towards the election in November 2020. So this feels like a cleaner thing, an easier and cleaner thing for them to do. So cool, that's great. Um, I'd really like to see Facebook still step up and own its responsibility as the largest single platform for mass communication in this country.
1: Yeah, I mean pretty soon we're going to have the election upon us again and I think a lot of the issues that you just mentioned will, you know, be back in the spotlight and it'll be very interesting to see how they react to that. And uh, you know, speaking of the election, finally this week there was an op-ed in the Boston Globe this week from Diane Hessen entitled The Nation is in Crisis, Where Are You Joe Biden? It argues that Biden has essentially been invisible lately, saying at one point, quote, "Leaders don't hide from a crisis, neither should Biden." Do you think that he has been vocal enough and out in front of the media as much as he should be doing Yeah, Yeah, it's
0: really, it's really the question whether he's been vocal enough. Um, I think probably most people would agree we're not seeing Biden. If I were advising Biden, I'd tell him he should be on a talk show every single night, whether that's Jimmy Kimmel, Jimmy Fallon, Rachel Maddow, Lawrence O'Donnell, Anderson Cooper, I don't care where he needs to be out there being visible because his opponent Trump has a national press briefing every single day where he's out in front of the country. And do You think it, Biden is
1: good enough on camera and in interviews to I don't do think that it matters. He's got I mean a lot of slip-ups. Uh,
0: yeah, well, this is his moment. I mean, hey, <laughs> he can't, he can't slip up and he has to be visible he's trying he's trying to win the presidency that's that's not like a thing you do part time or when it's convenient you need to be out there and ready to ready to to perform essentially so to me i mean biden i feel like he ought to be present and visible and and presenting policies as if he were the opposition leader because effectively he is instead the person really playing that role is the governor of new york Andrew Cuomo, that's who's out there face to face combating Trump, and he just had another kind of right in your face. Uh, um, not in exchange because there it's like a virtual exchange because Trump will say something and Cuomo will respond. They'll go back and forth, but basically saying that he, um, you know, that Trump is not doing what he needs to do. Trump has not said what he's going. He's not fulfilled all of the things that he said he was going to do on behalf of New York, and that basically the idea of Testing and contact tracing, which is the next major step in trying to reopen the economy, which Trump is so set on, and of course we all want, has to be done by the federal government. It needs that coordination, it needs those resources, it needs all of those things. You can't kind of do it in isolation as a governor. Um, and the governors are trying, you know. So um, I think that Biden, let's, you know, be honest, he's not the strongest candidate that we've ever seen. Nope. And We saw it also when, you know, Trump came after him on Ukraine and with his son, Biden kind of was absent. He didn't step up and say, how dare you impugn my reputation and decisions that I made as vice president that were backed by every European ally we had at the time in Ukraine. He kind of was absent and had surrogates out there who were saying it for him. We will see how this plays out. I've had a number of conversations with political activists lately, and first of all, like if this, if this matters at all, my family's from Ohio, right? Very important swing state. True. I've had members of my own family, uh, supported Trump, whatever. Uh, but they have, all of them have turned on Trump definitively and very vocally less in conversations that I'm having with say my parents and uh, Kara Swisher and I were going back and forth on this because Kara's wrote a piece about her mom right, learn, right. Uh, getting misinformed by watching Fox News and how upset she was And she got into a whole thing with Sean Hannity about that. And, you know, th- right now, my parents, all they're doing is staying at home and watching television and they are so angry. They're so angry at Trump. So I don't know if that means anything in terms of, um, you know, choosing Joe Biden over Trump, whether, um, you know, you got to be in love with Biden or if you just got to decide you just don't want any more of what we're going through right now. We'll see.
1: Yeah. I mean, you know, if Biden isn't out there, like you said, on TV every day, you know, the other option is social media, where if you look at the numbers, Donald Trump has 29 million Facebook followers. Joe Biden has about 1.8. And on Twitter, Trump has 78 million followers. Biden has 5 million followers. So if Biden isn't going to get on TV, he's not going to get hurt. So I think you're right. I think it's time for him to to step up and, and really start Agreed. to take control Agreed. of this thing. Mm-hmm. All right. Now we like to go to a segment on the podcast we call wax on wax off, where we give Sharon Waxman an opportunity to uh, let us know about one thing she is particularly into this week, her wax on and one thing that is really bothering her this week, which is usually easier to pick <laughs> harder, harder <laughs> to narrow down. I think for her, I'm so a Waxman, glass half off.
0: full kind of gal. All right, right. here we go. I away. dropped my iPhone today. Sorry I, to crack- <laughs> I then cracked
1: Then again, the old iPhone, so I'm kind of glad. I think it's time for.: I have
0: no, no. That's the point about Apple products. They are really built so solid. All I do all day is I breathe into my phone and I, and I work on my Mac laptop. and without the with those two things, I can do my life. Without those two things, I can't do my life. And it just occurred to me that now that I, we're essentially using those, at least I am, almost every waking moment of the day, how impressed I am that Apple builds these products that that hold up, that don't break. My my Mac uh, Air is not particularly brand new. As you've pointed out, my iPhone is not particularly brand new. And I wanna say thank you, uh, Steve Jobs, and thank you, Tim Cook. You guys are my wax on today, and all the people who build those rock solid products. For my wax off, yes the ppp fund that two uh, that 350 billion dollars that got uh scooped up and hoovered up uh for small businesses within two weeks of being passed by congress uh guess what we're sh- sh- shockingly learning that lots of public companies and cr- and cronies of the administration uh Managed to get lots of funds, including uh, real estate companies in. Uh, the, well, first of all, there's a huge number in the Washington D.C. area, so that's interesting. How the uh, that the sums that have been granted are much higher on average in the Washington D.C. area. I can't imagine why that would be. Um, and then there's companies like Shake Shack. There's another company, uh, Ruth's uh, Steakhouse. Ruth's that's Chris. Uh, what is it?
1: Ruth's Chris.
0: Gr- Ruth's Chris. Chris. Yes. Okay. Sorry. Uh, that have been so publicly shamed at the amount of money that they've taken that they they're actually giving it back. Giving it back yeah. So um, there are also lawsuits that have been filed against Wells Fargo and against uh, J.P. Morgan Chase for basically serving up money to their more important uh, clients in their private banking side and on their commercial side, leaving basically the mom and pop shops who were, who were all struggling and now about to go under um, with nothing. And I'll just tell you that I walk in my neighborhood in Santa Monica every day and I am now, start, I was gonna t- I'm going to take pictures of this and put them up on Twitter. I am now seeing shop after shop after shop, empty for lease. Because these are people who cannot go six weeks without z- with zero revenue. And they were the ones who really, really needed this money and fast, and they didn't get it. Wax yeah, it's off. a tough situation. You? Yeah, how about you, Daniel? Uh,
1: this week, you know, Sharon, my Wax On, I know you enjoy Insecure. While you were yeah. on HBO on Sunday nights, there's a new show called Run. Starring I watched it. Oh, you are watching it.
0: I started.
1: Okay, yeah. There's only been two episodes. Um, it's Donald Gleason and Merritt Weaver, who's amazing in everything Love she's her. Ever done. Yeah, the best. Um, it's a fantastic show. It's about an ex couple that I think dated in like college, who each send each other a text that just says "run," and apparently they had some sort of pre-planned, you know, routine for if you agree to run, you meet on this train, and they they end up back together although it's going a little rocky so far. Uh, they're both amazing. I think it's a fantastic show. I'm really enjoying it. I love
0: her. We will watch anything she does.
1: She is fantastic in everything. Yeah, um, she's so cool. My wax off this week, you know, I previously discussed a lot of different voting situations on the, on this podcast. And a couple of weeks ago, we talked about what went down in Wisconsin when the polls were open despite, you know, COVID-19, the pandemic. Right. It shouldn't have been. Um, Wisconsin, uh, health officials uh, revealed this week that 19 people who voted in person or worked at a polling site on the election day tested positive for COVID-19. They're Uh-oh. not percent sure that they, you know, got it that day, but still, these were people who were either at polling locations, probably touching machines, standing in line with people, interacting. So who knows? Uh, Wisconsin has there been varying reports, but I believe earlier this week they had their biggest day in coronavirus cases on Wednesday, doubling the number from the day before. We just need to take this really, really seriously, people. Like, and that starts from the top down. You know, It's going to be a rough few months, but we stay at home, and, and these things just can't be allowed to happen. We really just need to, to stick to this for the long run.
0: That's a great reminder, Daniel.
1: That concludes this week's Wax On, Wax Off. When we come back... We'll get into the juggernaut that is Netflix and whether or not the plan to reopen movie theaters in Georgia next week has any chance of happening. Stick around. While many sectors of the entertainment industries are facing crisis during the coronavirus pandemic, the world of streaming is not one of them. And no company is on a hotter streak right now than the king of streamers, Netflix. But is this as good as it gets? Here to examine the state of Netflix are the raps Sean Birch and Jenny Moss. Welcome to the podcast.
2: Hi hey there. Thanks for having me back.
1: All right. So Sean, let's start with the subscriber numbers. Netflix um, released some this week, and they had a record-setting first quarter of 2020. Isn't that right?
2: Yeah. So they came out uh, a couple days ago, and they reported that for Q1 they had 15.8 million new subscribers join. Which, I mean. Even the most bullish analysts, were not even close to that. You know, some analysts I talked to had them pegged around 9.5 million, which would have matched them with Q1 last year, which was also their record for most total subscribers for a single quarter. Um, Just in terms of subscriber growth, like as a percentage, by the way, this is also their biggest quarter since like 2016. So, you know, any way you slice it, this was a nice quarter for them.
1: Uh, And they're at like, what, over 180 million subscribers worldwide now?
2: yeah they're at nearly one hundred and eighty three million and even even you know in the us and Canada, which have been slowing down for the last year or two, um, they added two point three million people, which was easily their best quarter in a couple of years. so um, pretty much all all markets, all signs were good to go for this last uh, quarter for them.
1: All right, so big subscriber numbers, I have to assume that equates to big financial numbers right how did how are they looking on the business side?
2: Yeah, so this was actually their first quarter in, I think, at least four years that they were free cash flow positive. So that's something that stood out to me. Um, just in terms of revenue, they brought in, you know, $5.75 billion, which was kind of in line with what the projections were. Um, overall, they're actually bringing in slightly less per subscriber than they were a few months ago even. But that's just because they're adding more people around the world where maybe they're not paying for the $15, 16 a month option
0: this is the kind of thing that, you know, just actually completely proves out Reed Hastings strategy. Wouldn't you say? I mean, he's been, uh, making bold decisions, leading this company for, for 15 years already, whether that was going from DVDs to going to streaming. Um, and he's been proving the naysayers wrong year after year after year. And now it just feels like, you know, they're, they're just dominant. Like they're unassailable. Do you think that this, this, continues to to go in this direction?
2: Sure well I would be very impressed if they were able to replicate this in any of the future quarters this year because look they if you were being a bit skeptical they stacked the deck a little bit this quarter Um, it's going to be really hard to replicate Tiger King for instance right Um, and on top of that they actually moved up some stuff so Ozark came out in Q1 and that's a big show for them obviously normally that comes out around Q3 though so they had some stuff working in favor in their favor right now that was really going to juice these
0: numbers. Well, yeah. Let's talk about content a little bit, Dan, You can ask Jenny. About
1: yeah, content. sure. No, you mentioned Tiger King, which I w- will never see, uh, and Ozark. Wow. Um, you know, Netflix you can
0: watch it on fast forward. Try that.
1: <sighs> no, I, I just I can't. I can't bring myself to do it. <laughs> um, Netflix is usually and has been in the past very tight lipped about viewership numbers, but they're actually starting to give out those numbers now. And of course, the biggest hit of all was Tiger King, right?
3: Uh, Yeah, so I mean, Netflix has, has been cagey always. And and uh-huh, cagey, huh? <laughs> K- i just Aha, cagey, we got that, thanks. Um, nice and I, I wouldn't say they're being more so now. I mean, I think Sean can add to this, is that they hold this stuff for when they're ready to say, it, and this is the time, an earnings call, this is when you want to be impressive, mm-hmm. right? And Netflix says what Netflix wants to say. and They only show you what they want to show you. So. Well, we know what they tell us, which is 64 million people, according to them, watched at least part. And this is where I'm going to emphasize what Netflix counts as a view is important here. At least two minutes of um, of a show is a view for them, right? So at least 64 million subscribers, according to Netflix, watch Tiger King. Um, that puts it second behind The Witcher. For its most watched uh, first season debut of a series, which they said that one was uh, seventy six million for The Witcher in December over its first month. So, but that's what Netflix says, right? And that's how Netflix counts a view, and that's what Netflix is is telling you. Um, we don't have any really good way of fact checking Netflix at this point. Uh, Nielsen puts out its own numbers, but even those aren't infallible. They have their way of counting, but it's more of an industry standard. So Nielsen released numbers for Tiger King before Netflix did. Uh, And when they said it, it was still impressive by their standards. They said that over its first 10 days, it had 19 million US viewers um, with an average minute audience, which is a different way that Nielsen counts versus Netflix. But that's still impressive because in their rankings, it came in ahead of Stranger Things 2. It came in behind Stranger Things 3's uh, first 10 days, but it still beat Stranger Things 2, which is a big deal because that's an established show
0: um, for I, I I want to ask a different question about yeah. content, Jenny. So obviously they have a big hit. That was just one of those odd viral things that took off while everybody happened to be home. People want to talk about it. People want to hate watch it. People want to make fun of it. People wanted like they were, were obsessive. What, but what about going forward? They've got this now 183 million subscribers around the world. That's probably two and a half times. I'm going to guess the number of people because you've got, you've got people sharing, obviously the subscribers, uh, the, the logins. They can't produce anything right now. What are they going to do about content going forward? How are they going to feed this pipeline?
3: So that's the thing. Um, yes, they can't produce things for now, but they have a lot stored up. They do. Netflix works on a different um, timetable than broadcast than on cable, um, but that's the same for, for most streamers. They have a different uh situation so they talked about this on the earnings call yesterday they're not worried about the fact like the next season of the crown it will still come out on time they were done with it they're ready they're dealing with post stuff still sure but they are much less concerned about rolling out things on time i mean ryan murphy's hollywood is coming out next friday that was done that was in the can they're ready with stuff months ahead of us seeing it so they're less concerned than most other people. But does
0: that that become an issue down the line six months from now, if that's what their pipeline, um, you know, if that's how their production pipeline works?
3: I, I think because a lot of things are up in the air for everyone, it's hard to say, but in six months, they're at least still trying to say that they seem optimistic through the fall, what winter looks like, what next spring looks like, if they're not able to go back into production on Save the Witcher. Um, which was huge for them and which they renewed ahead of its debut because of the amount of lead time they knew it would take to get to the next season, that shut down. It was shooting in Europe. If they can't get back up on that, eventually it will catch up to them. We just don't know when. The when is the question, yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: So, Jenny, one of the other things that you've been looking at in terms of Netflix and their numbers was their recently released top 10 list where basically they, yeah. you as a user get served up what Netflix is telling you are the top 10 most watched movies and television shows on Netflix. You took a really deep dive look at that. What did you learn from those numbers?
3: Yeah, so they released that for the first time um, at the end of February. It's an interesting tool, um, and some could argue that it's a marketing tool because if Netflix shows me what are the top 10 things today on Netflix, I'm more likely to click on something that Netflix just told me is popular. Um, And this is again populated on a daily basis in the same way uh, that they count a view, which is by two minutes of watching something. And so that's their top. So what we noticed over the first month of tracking um, these daily lists, which they do for their overall titles for TV shows and for movies. So there's three lists every day that they calculate, um, was that 70% of these titles um, were Netflix titles. And that makes sense. In a lot of ways, they show their stuff up at the top. When you sign on, if there's a new Netflix show, um, they want to show it the day that it launched, it'll pop up on your screen along with the stuff that you were previously watching. But all of our home screens look different when we sign on, right? Our thumbnails look different, stuff is different, but they're going to promote their content. So we'll see spikes where after Tiger King launched, you know, it was two days, I think, after Tiger King launched that it shot up to the number one overall title and it stayed there for 25 days until Despicable Me knocked it down.
1: So Sean, despite everything we've just said, like we've said nothing but good things for Netflix, everything is trending up, but the analysts of you, you spoke to this week essentially say this is as good as it will get for them. Why is that?
2: Right. Well, it goes back to they're not anticipating them to have anywhere close to 16 million subscribers again in the quarters ahead. Um, A lot of times it's not even so much like, what have you done for me lately with the stock market? It's what are you going to do for me? (laughs) And, you know, even Netflix conceded on their call. They said, you know, uh, yeah, they weren't
1: that excited, were they? They kind of downplayed it.
2: Right. So, yeah. So Ted Sarandos came out, chief content officer, and he said that, you know, we anticipate 7.5 million new subs next quarter. But that's, quote, mostly guesswork at this point. So I think the analysts are kind of in the same spot too, and you know it's not like Netflix's stock fell off a cliff. You know it's down like two percent from its all-time high, which it just set you know a few days ago. It's still yeah, the know, stock. 20. If you look year
0: over year, the stock's like killing it. It's,
2: yeah, it's killing it. So if you invested in them, um, you know right before the earnings call, okay, you're down two percent, big deal. But overall, they're looking pretty sharp overall.
4: Yes. I mean you know, I, the, the,
0: these stories play out. It's also, good they to tend be Netflix. It is really good to be Netflix, but these stories have very interesting arcs. We've watched them. I've watched them over many years. The sort of the rise and fall. Netflix is going to mm. hit some unknown uh, speed bumps and challenges in the years ahead. Uh, it's not. I mean, if it was cash flow positive, uh, you know, this quarter, uh, that. It needs to be the case going forward eventually, right? They still have to figure out how to turn a profit at this. So, um, but overall, you know, like big hat tip to Netflix, they were ahead of the curve. They're the the first mover in this space, right, you guys? And like, you you gotta give them their props.
2: Uh, Just to build off that real quick, Sharon, so, you know, if you talk to skeptics, you know, uh, analysts who are a little more skeptical on Netflix, they'll always point to the $14 to $15 billion they're carrying in debt. Um, But then on the other hand, you'll talk to people who say this pandemic might even be a blessing in disguise for them, where they're actually going to see that we don't need to produce quite as much content as we actually were producing. And then next thing you know, they're actually scaling back how much they're spending. So uh, that one could go either way right now.
0: Yeah, interesting. All right. Thanks, guys. Thanks, guys, for coming. This week, Georgia Governor Brian Kemp announced his intention to allow movie theaters to reopen on April 27th, subject to specific social distancing and sanitation mandates. But it isn't really that simple. Here to discuss what would actually need to happen for this to work are The Raps, Jeremy Fuster and Trey Williams. Welcome.
4: Hello. Hello.
0: So Jeremy, let's start with you. Is it realistic for movie theaters in Georgia to open? Is it to, is it this week, next week, whatever? I know that some some guidelines were being uh, softened already uh, on Friday.
5: Well, it still isn't exactly clear how many theaters are going to take this option to open. But even if they wanted to open as soon as possible, it's really not feasible for any movie theater to open as open next week. There's a lot of hurdles that still have to be Overcome. Among them, they would have to eat, they would have to retrain all their employees to operate under strict social distancing protocols. Protocols like separating se- separating seats and maybe entire rows, keeping them empty, to make sure that there's distance between all moviegoers. For there would be deep cleaning practices every single auditorium and probably the bathrooms and public spaces too would all have to be deep cleaned on a regular basis. So even if they were to bring back their employees that were furloughed when the lockdown started, there's still a significant amount of training that would have to be done there. And then there's other problems such as you know, the lack of new product. There's also problems like Well, let's go back, hang
0: on, let's go back to that. I mean, what movies could they even show? There are movies in release
5: right now. I mean, are there? No, there there are no new, there are no new movies out because everyone has, all the studios have moved their films to a July release date at the earliest. But from, since the lockdown started, the movie theater industry has sort of, they've settled on this, temporary time frame that the earliest they could possibly begin to get back to full speed would be sometime in july and so so what would they be
0: showing i'm being they cut it but are they going to like revive old movies like what are they going to show
5: yeah they they would likely have to show uh revive films maybe some movies that have just come out like trolls world tour which was still supposed to be coming out in theaters even when they put it out on home video on demand at the same time they could still do that but obviously people are just gonna most people are gonna watch those movies at home because they have the option uh the uh, ifc films announced earlier this week that for any independently owned movie theater that opens up whatever whenever they reopen not just right now but whenever They'll be able to rent IFC films catalog without any rental fees. So those are, include films like Boyhood, uh, The Death of Stalin, Like Father, Like Son by Koreeda. They have, and they're they're giving them to independent theaters in different packs, like Cannes Film Award winners, or greatest hits, or cult films. So that's, that's one kind of distribu- a great idea. Well, it's one it's one distri- distributor's way of trying to help support the independent theater business because they operate on very very narrow profit margins but for the bigger chains the plan is still prepare for a midsummer reopening because those big chains rely on those really big blockbusters and they're not going to be coming until three months now the earliest
0: well and there's one other point that we haven't talked about which is are people going to feel comfortable leaving their homes in georgia and going to the theater a lot of the mayors in georgia as i've been reading are recommending that people still stay home even though the governor is saying you can go so it may be that they do all of this work and not very many people show up but but i think it's going to be a really interesting litmus test on how comfortable people are yeah, right. You,
1: your piece touched on this a little bit. You know, some of the ways that theaters might entice people to come back when the restrictions let up. You know, what are some of the methods that that some of the theater owners might try and do to get people to come back in?
4: Yeah, I mean, last week uh, Cinemark um, CEO um, Mark Zerati talked a little bit about, and to hit on Jeremy's point, um, he mentioned a that. You know while they're planning for a reopening like july 1st that like two weeks prior they want to start like sort of slowly opening up for short like periods of time um some theaters and showing like library content um which was what jeremy was talking about but i mean they're doing things they they again are trying to retrain staff um they're going to use that two weeks to retrain staff and hopefully show people and get people comfortable. Um, They are even looking at, as some people start to, as like movies start to come back and people start to come back to the theaters a little bit, um, reducing some ticket prices um, even. Um, I think mainly for, you know, sort of the bigger uh, budget um, films that people want to see. They're,
1: would a, would a 50% off sale get you back in the theaters in July?
4: <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I mean let's be amazing. honest. Like, me personally? Like, me personally? Um, yeah. Uh, yeah uh, All right, let's I, throw I, out I a hypothetical. Least, I would have to at least like peer into the theater like, glass door to make sure that they're actually like cleaning and doing what they need to do uh, to feel comfortable. But I mean, I can't wait to go back to the theaters, personally. Um, I don't know if... Um, July 1st if I'll be rushing over to you know the arc light to you know even sit three chairs away from someone.
0: Well what about um, Trey and Jeremy both I'd like to ask what is the National Association of Theatre Owners uh, where do they stand on this they represent the the group of all of the industry um, exhibitors are they yeah. right? Well, yeah, the I mean, general,
4: they're, well I was just gonna say to Jeremy's point earlier they um, Stand mainly with the same, they have the same sort of um, uh, point of view of like the big chains right now. Um, they, they, they said that these early state reopenings, um, likely, you know, a lot of the theaters are not gonna be able to feasibly reopen um, and do um, even, you know, diminished um, business um, that way, that mainly for what we've talked about, they're not being new releases. Uh, until mid through July, yeah, there's um, still like
1: technically speaking, you have Tenant, right? Mulan, I think. Those yeah, July others 17th. that are, still have release dates.
5: There is, and I think also there's another element to this whole reopening process in terms of the government that isn't entirely clear for movie theaters, and that is like this three phase plan that the Trump administration put out. Um. The first phase, which Georgia is supposedly going to be reopening under, that it says that, okay, under the first phase, movie theaters can reopen. But it also advises individuals, avoid mass gatherings of more than 10 people. Now, the reason why all the movie theaters finally announced they're going to close, that there was that rapid announcement, one after the other, all the chains closing nationwide, is because... The CDC announced they were changing their advisory of avoid mass gatherings of more than 50 people and bringing it down to 10 people. And all the theaters realized we can't operate with with the government telling people to avoid gatherings of more than 10 people. So yeah, the, the, the first phase of this Trump plan may tell movie theaters that it's okay, but at the same time telling individuals to avoid environments like movie theaters that have more than ten people gathering at one time. So the owners I've been owners I've been talking to have been saying they're probably going to wait if they're if this three phase plan is what they're going with. They're going to wait until the second phase, which says okay, individuals avoid gatherings of more than fifty. So once it goes back to that that uh, fifty is the amount on um, the mass gathering restriction, then that's when you're going to see most theaters start to reopen, and that's. They're, the the industry is expecting the phase two may be able to happen sometime in midsummer. And that is why they're all sort of hoping that Tenet and Wonder Woman will bring people out in the late half of the summer. So you, you
0: might be able to go to the movies, but I, I would just have to say that there is... Uh a common sense element here that we should be talking about, which is if you're Absolutely. able to finally leave your houses and you are finally able to go out and do some things of among other people that involve social content, are you going to want to be in a closed building of the array of things that you can choose from, whether it's going to a baseball game, going to a restaurant, going to your kid's soccer game or whatever it is, uh, and you still can watch entertainment at home in a way that has zero risk attached to it? To me, it feels like that's going to be one of the things that's way lower on the list that people choose to do. So when we talk about pent up demand, people are talking a lot about pent up demand for entertainment. And I've been talking to a lot of people this week about what entertainment looks like going, you know, going going forward. Feels to me like the very one of the last things I'm going to do is be in an enclosed uh, room so that I can see something on a big screen when I can see something at home. What do you guys think?
5: I think it's going to come down to the individual person, where they live, and what kind of theater they go to. I mean, like this for example, personally, I live near uh, a Theater that I know. On weekdays, on, at midday, nobody's going in there, so <laughs> I could go see a movie and maybe have two or three other people in the theater. Which sure, if you I think don't have days- a
0: job, that's cool. <laughs> I, mean, sure.
5: I, I, I think that um, if if Wonder Woman 1984 were to come out in August, I think there's going to be, we're not going to be seeing the usual superhero movie opening day loaded theaters, everyone wanting to see the latest DC movie. I I, I think there's going to be a reluctance for that. Although I, I think there are going to be people who might if movie theaters reopen the movie, whatever movie theater they go to, they might think okay, at this time or several weeks after this movie I wanna see comes out, maybe then I'll see it. it, it I, I do think there will be a change in certain movie going habits. Everyone in the industry is expecting it's not gonna go right back to the way it was before, but there will be some changes. And we're, we're not gonna really know until we, until the theaters finally get the all clear and we get to see what kind of movies will be able to come out at whatever, theaters are able to show them again.
0: And here's something crazy, but I mean, somebody entrepreneurial should really bring back um, open air drive-in theaters. In the age of COVID, it feels like that's a piece of innovation that's waiting to be reinvented for the post-pandemic era. Then you could put it on a big screen and people could be totally socially distanced in their cars. I don't know what it would take to do it, but um, somebody in, in the newsroom in discussions brought it up, and then somebody in my uh, business discussions with with folks about what this looks like going forward brought it up. It does feel like, that feels like a good idea. Um, well, thank you, for, thank you for this. I think this is one area that we really have to wait and see consumer behavior, regardless of how many uh, governors decide that they want the movies to reopen. And even when Hollywood decides to put movies back in theaters, we're just going to have to see how the public um, Response. Uh, thank you, Trey. Thank you, Jeremy. Do not forget to check out Jeremy's work and Trey's work on Rap Pro, which is our members only offering at the Rap. It's an essential news source for the entertainment business. Rap Pro was designed specifically for Hollywood insiders who want to stay on top of the business of movies, TV, and streaming and includes exclusive access and insights not available anywhere else. So that's it for this week's episode of the wrap-up. Thank you to all of you who tuned in and remember to follow us or subscribe to our show wherever you get your podcast. See you next week.